Okay, so I want to jump back into... Um, so you gave your, your closing observations regarding healthy use of technology, and I agree that... Yeah, of course. All right, is this... Again, again, it's a brilliant invention, but you've used the wrong... Like, there's... Okay, I'm... And uh, we should end now? I guess that's the end. I wish I had a point. I just, I, I wish just, I had a uh, point to sit on so I could be like, I'm on it. I'm on the point. I'm on the point. I'm on the point. I just feel like we didn't use the owl on point thing enough this podcast. And I was like, I, I want to get this in. Well, the second you brought it up, I was like, now that we've brought it up, I'm going to be on point. Like, I'm, I'm going to make sure that you, you were can't on, you use were, this sign. You actually were more on point just because of the threat <laughs> you, of the you owl. Flipped, you flipped on my my competitive I was like, street. damn, why can't I use this more? He was so off point the last time. Now this time he's like, oh, I'm point. And I'm like, fuck. He's even oh more on point God. than I am on point. No, I know. Like, you're I being know. like, you're being like, actually, I am on point. Would you stop using that shit? <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? You got to be crazy. Too late to be sane. You got to go full tilt, Bozo. Cause you're only given a little spark of that. We are attention. If you lose that, you're not attention. Pay attention. From me to you, don't ever lose that. Cause it keeps you alive. Um, all right, so welcome, Attention Different Podcast fans. Uh, my name is Steven, and I have Aaron on the other line, and we are recording episode three of the Attention Different Podcast. Aaron has gone and done some research and come back with some of the, the tough stuff, the hard-hitting questions, you know? Questions like, isn't everyone a little bit ADHD? And come on, it's 2017. Aren't all of our attention spans like way shorter? I've got some opinions and thoughts of my own on the subject matter. Aaron's going to present some hard-hitting facts for Generation Distraction. Aaron, she's all yours. Take it away. And as always, we are two proud ADHDers and ADHD advocates. However, what you're about to hear is our opinion supported by research and should not supported be considered as official medical or legal advice. So do not necessarily try this at home or do or do whatever. But we are not responsible <laughs> for your outcomes. Listen at your own risk. All right. So generation distraction. Aren't we all a little ADHD? Now, this is something I hear all the time from parents that I work with and families, and it's usually in reference to the onslaught of technology in American culture. We have this prevalent screen culture where a lot of children are growing up on screens, always on this type of, of device and that type of device, whether it's an iPad, iPhone, an Android device, your computer, video games, PlayStation, you name it, right? And right. I think since the 80s and 90s, there's been this uptick in ADHD diagnosis. And some folks believe that there's this correlation between the diagnosis rates going up and the technology that's been permeating throughout our society. I wanted to address this question because I think it's really important. I mean, I, I hear this way too much where it's like, well, isn't, just, isn't everyone just a little ADHD these days? I mean, society is just so fast paced and we're bombarded with all these things. It, it, you know, aren't we all just ADHD? I want to talk about this from standpoint of, of research and what I was able to find. Now, in 2013, a lot of stuff came out. There was a Time Magazine article. This article was 
entitled, let me find it here, A Nation of Kids with Gadgets and ADHD. Is technology to blame for the rise of behavioral disorders? Question mark. Ned Hallowell, the prominent ADHD advocate that wrote Driven to Distraction, he wrote a response to that article. He talked about pseudo-ADHD versus real ADHD. What he calls pseudo-ADHD is this idea that people that are technology-addicted or children that have this propensity towards using technology often start to show some signs that may look, from a casual observer's perspective, like it's ADHD. And so this is what he was calling pseudo-ADHD. But there are some key differences here that we'll kind of get into. Basically, I'm going to throw some facts at you right now. Hit me. (laughs) Throw them. I'm catching. Internet use, on average, for general population, is about three hours per day. Internet addiction is about 25% in the population. I thought you were going to say 25 hours. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that average. That's more than a day. And then then addiction is 25 hours a day. And I was like, I was first to be like, whoa, that's so much. That is, that is a lot. That's so many hours. It doesn't quite fit into one day. How could someone use the internet that much? That's an addiction that defies Gregorian calendar. ADHDers can use the internet 26 hours a day. That's how good we are. Yeah, 26 hours a day, every day. Um, Okay, so 25% of Americans, is that what he's saying, are addicted to the internet? Yeah. Internet addiction, now this is something that's kind of new. It's, It's still... On the forefront, we don't have a whole lot of research on this, but there's there's more and more research coming out each year. And in the DSM-5, the latest Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, they list off some things about problematic internet use. Children who overuse online media are at risk of problematic internet use. And heavy users of video games are at risk of internet gaming disorder. Now that's something that's in the... DSM. Both of these conditions need further research. However, symptoms can include preoccupation with the activity, decreased interest in offline or real-life relationships, unsuccessful attempts to decrease use, and withdrawal symptoms. So it sounds like it sounds like sorry. It 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 sounds like they gave you the top five generic symptoms of being addicted to anything. This might not be surprising to you, but you know the the amount of folks on the younger age of the spectrum, it's it's actually less of those folks that are quote unquote addicted to the internet, and it kind of increases as they get into their their teen years or late teens. So just Got keep it. that in mind. Got it. All right. ADHD is well known to impart an increased risk of substance use disorders. So as we're talking about this, let's keep in mind that that having ADHD also, it, one of the, the risk factors of having ADHD is that we're more likely to become addicted to certain substances. And why do you think that is? Uh, I'm assuming it has to do with our impulsive, like naturally impulsive behavior. Um, right. I'm confident in assuming that a higher propensity toward substance abuse for ADHDers 
has to do with the brain trying to find more dopamine and adrenaline and endorphins. Like it's it's kind of like a yeah. natural resource for uppers, essentially. Like like I don't I don't Yeah. No, you're yeah. you're on yeah. you're on yes. You you hit both of those right on the head. Those are correct. That there's the impulsivity and the dopamine rush that you get from things like video games, TV all these things give you a instant gratification in this intermediate onslaught of dopamine. It's like you press right. a thing, a new window comes open, you're, you're playing the game, you get to the next level, you get to the next thing, the next thing's happening. What's not funny is how easily somebody with a pre-existing condition, a, pr a propensity towards substance abuse, combined with like essentially our kryptonite, like the ADHD kryptonite is video games. Yeah, so the main point here though is that ADHDers are at a higher risk because we already have a lot of research about ADHD and addiction and substances, substance use addiction. When we look at pseudo ADHD, some of the differences are you're not born with internet addiction or screen addiction. So when you take that device away, the tendencies will subside. Whereas with ADHDers, you're born with it. It's something right. that's, that's pediatric in nature. What we're saying is that, you know, kind of the treatment for these kids is easy you know, you moderate the video game usage. And Dr. Hallowell kind of points to this in his article. We don't need to prescribe stimulants to these non-ADHDers that have this pseudo-addictive personality of uh, game usage or whatever it is. Right. You give a kid Adderall who doesn't need Adderall to try and defeat the video game addiction. You wake up at three in the morning to the sounds of like gunshot and explosions and virtual warfare and walk out in the living room and there's the kid like... I gotta get to level 12, mom. No, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I finished my homework, I finished all my homework. I'm gonna ace that quiz tomorrow. It's like four in the morning, playing Call of Duty. You know, I don't think the Adderall's working. I think it's, I think it's making the problem worse. Although he's got all A's. So I really don't know what to say. I mean, we're, he's, he's playing his video games and he's acing school. Doesn't sleep a lot though. Doesn't get a lot of sleep. The, the real problem is that when you're addicted to video games, adding a stimulant into there, into the mix, doesn't, have the same impact as for someone with ADHD who may have an underproduction of dopamine and neuropinephrine in their system. When you're giving it to someone that's is kind of neurotypical, you could set some things off. It, it could be make, as you say, make the problem worse rather than better. Yeah. So basically, the what we should do for these kids is is it's not diagnose them with ADHD. It's like we need to sort out what's ADHD and what's not. And I think it takes a trained clinician, takes someone that knows what they're doing to be able to, to really sort this stuff out. Now, let's let's back back this up a little bit. So okay. why are people thinking, well, ADHD is on the rise. It's this huge boom of, of overdiagnosis and stuff. Of course, there may be some overdiagnosis or there may be some clinicians that aren't as careful out there sure. that are contributing to some issues of overdiagnosis. That may be there. But those are probably outliers, and we yeah. don't have any clear-cut evidence that that's the case. That's just kind of like one of those things that people think they know. Got I mean, it. each each year you'll hear something in the New York Times or something in some other news outlet that'll tell you there's a 20% increase or a 50% increase in the rates of diagnosis over X amount of years. But the thing is, is they don't take into consideration is the fact that a lot of times there's they don't adjust the data to population rise and density, mm -hmm. right? They don't Classic. adjust the data. They don't adjust the data to 
what tools and, you know, if our screening tools or our approach to the thing is getting better, if we're recognizing it more, if the education of teachers and parents and others that this is a problem and it has, it needs to be taken care of and all this kind of stuff. None of those, none of those things are or should be included in in a hypothetical science. (laughs) Yeah. But as, you know, as the awareness analysis diagnoses. As yeah, the awareness the... increases, we start flagging more individuals, and so more people do get diagnosed. There hasn't been a great adjustment in the in that data for adults with ADHD or the fact that more girls these days are getting diagnosed. Girls are still diagnosed at a, at a rate, you know, 50% less than boys. Again, there's right, all takes, these other— Right, it takes a while for those, those, you know, for some of the male scientists to remember the other gender that exists on the planet. i'm just messing i'm just messing i'm just messing it's just that there's all these other things so we can assume that that are slow to show up in the the reports but i think you know what's interesting is if you look at the statistics from the other way around okay but let me just read it to you that way because i think it kind of i don't know it was surprising i saw this infographic um and it showed the statistics in terms of a pie graph and i then i was thinking oh wow you know that really isn't that doesn't sound as like much of this alarmist like over diagnosis shit because so you saw so you saw a pie graph where it shows you not just the amount the percentage of people diagnosed with ADHD, but everyone else in the pie chart with 7.2 billion people in it or 7.8 whatever the number is and 130 million of them have ADHD that is a tiny ass sliver that is a small little sliver of that pie and i'm gonna look at yeah. it and go i i would have had the same reaction you did like oh okay yeah yeah seven percent of the population it's easy has. to come it's easy to come out with this with this alarmist article yeah. of like, oh my god, the diagnosis rate has has skyrocketed, you know, over this percentage over the last decade. Yeah. And now we have this many people taking medications and this many people doing this. And, right. But when you look a little further underneath those alarmist statistics that are just thrown at you, you'll have to look at like all these other factors. And and if you think about it in terms of the global context or right. in comparison to relative no, you, disorders or you other things. The pool. Like Yeah, and, and it just it doesn't seem as as horrible and or as like no. bad, right? All right. So the the chart says we read it from the other way around. Okay. 91.2% are not diagnosed with ADHD between the ages of 4 and 17. Wow. 91.2% yeah. of kids 4 to 17 are not diagnosed with ADHD. Wow. Yeah. Love that. That's great. You're blowing my mind right now. I've not, I've, I've not looked, I haven't looked this up and I'm shocked I haven't Googled this for my own like mic drops, you know? 93.2% of children 4 to 10 are not diagnosed with ADHD. Okay. Okay. So most. Most. I think, I think that's a health, that's a, that's a healthy, the vast majority. All right. Yeah. So we're talking about like the rest the overwhelming <laughs> the, majority the overwhelming yes. the overwhelming majority of children don't have this yeah yes between the ages of 11 and 14 88.6% are not diagnosed with ADHD say that one again 88.6% are not okay diagnosed. now we're but like okay but like as of that bracket 
we're starting to get more um, like numbers on the board. There's a little bit of an asterisk around that one because now that we're in the 12% of a population, that's not one in 10. Well, so this is this is where this is where the debate or discussion can come in around screen time and stuff, because I think if we think about it, they match up. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so the ages between the ages of like 11 and 14 and then again, very similar with. 15 to 17 actually that percentage is a little bit less but not much we're actually working with like specific numbers and i don't i'm i actually don't think it's that far of a leap for any group of people to look at those numbers of of 11 or 12 to 17 you know that that like puberty to finishing high school age where this skyrocket this sudden skyrocket of video game playing happens across the board as well as this skyrocket in percentage i mean like the difference between eight percent and twelve percent is huge over vast populations so (laughs) i those are close numbers those are close numbers there's a spike right around the same time but all right does is video games or screen time or this kind of stuff is it really bad for people is it like how horrible is this stuff? Like, who cares, right? UCLA, some research out of UCLA, they took a group of sixth graders. They, they gave them five days away from computers, phones, TV, and and then they had others who were in this other group. And let me see, I, I didn't put the year down of this. I think it was 2014. NPR came out with this study and this article about the, so, res- about so the research not- of this study in 2014. So I think it was, and they said it's new research. So I'm assuming it was probably around 2014, 2013. So not quite Pokemon Go, but very much Instagram, Snapchat. Like we're removing that for, <laughs> for a week from sixth graders. Like that's no longer. And then the other sixth graders, what do they do? They get to use iPhones and stuff? They they got to to use their electronics and go do some other kind of summer camp thing, but they weren't prevented from using the okay. stuff as they typically were or whatever. These psychology professors, uh, specifically Patricia Greenfield, what she found was, quote, We found that kids who had been to camp without any screens, but with lots of opportunities and necessities for interacting with other people, improved significantly more in their research. And what they did, they showed these kids a group of 50 images, 50 faces, and each image showed some emotion, and they asked the children to identify the emotions depicted in the images. This is some and- <laughs> this is some lofty shit. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like one week, no phones, day one, pandemonium. <laughs> but like by, by like day seven, the kids are like having a good time. They're canoeing, they're swimming, they're playing like dodgeball. And they're like, I forgot what a phone is. And like, that's it. And then like the other group is just like, you know, for all seven days. Oh, and they, I love and they, phone. I, I yeah. hate people. Uh, I can't believe like swipe, but I, I, I thought you were going to say showed them 50 images of people at the camp and the second <laughs> no. group couldn't name them. And the first group was like, oh yeah, I met Larry, Sam, John, Sarah, and Janine. But this is, this is, we're going for, we're going for like, can you tell if they're happy or sad? And group one is like sad, happy, sad, confused, sad. And group two is like. The students that were, on this technology uh, vacation 
were able to identify the human emotions. So what it kind of led the researchers to conclude, participating in so much consumption of technology is actually blunting or numbing children's abilities to be able studying- to have to have connections or to have emotional identify emotions in others wow wow dehumanization so they were they were they were highlighting they're spotlighting the dehumanizing effects of constant interaction with technology that's happening. by the way that's also terrifying what you just said what's <laughs> in one week of freedom from technology a group of sixth graders is like Less like, than five days. Less than five days. Five days. Jesus H Christ. So in five days, a group of uh, there was sixth a graders, statistically significant started statistically right. significant increase Difference. in emotional detection. It's like yeah. It's like it's like honey, put down the phone. I'm angry. I need you to put down the tablet and understand that mommy's angry. Put down the tablet. I'm going to come back to you in four hours, and then I don't you can read my angry face. face. He's like. I don't, Put it down. I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. I why don't get are, why it. are you shouting? I don't. Are you is are you having an emotion? Is this What's an emotion? An emotion? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's insane, Aaron. That's insane. In five days, there was a significant increase in emotional connection. Okay, great. Next study. Come on. <laughs> we're breeding. We're breeding an army of robots. It's already clear to me. toddlers and and screens that's kind of our next section we're going to be going into oh shit dude let's go down the spiral marjorie uh hogan Uh a pediatrician at uh hennepine county medical center in minneapolis don't know if i'm saying that correctly but i'm gonna go with that could be hennepin could be could be i'm not looking at the word but there's a great brewery called hennepin so (laughs) then it may be that A spokeswoman for the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AAP, they put out some recommendations and guidelines for what you should do with your kids, how much screen time your kids should be having. Sure, okay. They also kind of talk about some of the, the effects of things. And they say, when babies are babies, they're learning about human interaction with face to face and with speaking to parents and having things they say modeled back to them. That need doesn't go away. So basically, mm. we still need that social interaction to develop properly. And without the face-to-face interaction that happens, so if the kids put on screens too early, they, they are being deprived of that social learning. They're being deprived of that necessary skill of identifying emotions, of learning and interacting with other people. That's why we shouldn't use... Right, right. And end of podcast. Great episode. And that's why we shouldn't babysit with TV screens. They recommend, I think, that children under the age of four should mm-hmm. not have any screen usage, really, for very limited, very limited screen when, usage. When was your, I know we're, we were born at different times, when did you meet, quote unquote, your first screen? Like, do you remember when you had, like, I know, and I know having been born in, you know, in the eighties, so you didn't, you guys didn't have cell phones. I didn't have cell phones no, before ninety one no, no. until high school. So, like, when, when, or middle school? When did you? Do you remember your first like video game screen or like personal computer situation? I remember. Like first time? Yeah, I remember Atari. <laughs> okay, Atari. Good start. Game Boy. Do you have a Game Boy? I had a Game Boy. <laughs> uh, 
I remember uh, Nintendo, the first Nintendo right. game system. And I remember also when Sega came out and when Sega Saturn and then N64. And, you know, those were kind of during my childhood. Those were the, yeah. the gaming systems. Did you have the Sega Genesis, the first, like one of those first, like... I remember, like, I remember it was... Essentially the grandfather of I the didn't, PlayStation Portable. I didn't get a lot of those things. Like, I was kind of like... My parents and stuff were always like three to five years behind, like getting those new technology and getting new gadgets and that kind of stuff. I don't, they, they didn't always give them to me like right when they came out. Um, but I do remember my friends having certain systems when I go for like a a birthday party or it would be like everyone huddles around the Sega Genesis. But even that's, that's one like degree, that's one significant degree of separation, right? So it's not like on the flip side, I had a dad who was the exact opposite. It, it, I, I received what I refer to now as trickle-down uh, uh, toys, trickle-down toys, because my dad was buying these video games for himself, for like his own simulation. <laughs> and then, you know, he would play 007 and Doom on Nintendo, and Brian, my brother and I, would play Mario Kart and, you know, Super Mario 64. But we had trickle-down toys. So, like, mm. the Sega Genesis thing, Game Boys... Uh, you know, all that shit. I, I, you know, though we didn't have a cell phone until eighth grade, my, my eighth grade ish, we did have, we did have Game Boys. Like we were, we were carrying around portable game players by my middle school. That was, that was a regular, we are that, that generation that brought in the idea of a portable game player portable devices yeah a portable device like that's a huge huge technology shift in attention and distraction my my generation is the is one of the first that had a handheld game and i remember growing up my mom like i would have played those video games from the time i got home until i was told not to like because i that's how i was with video games and i remember doing it more often than not like when i could when i could get away with it and i remember there was a rule my mom had which was you have to do your homework first before right. you could get onto the video games and then start playing and then and then i could watch one episode of tv or something but it was a limited mm. amount of time i had to play video games and tv and mm. i i remember i was watching rescue 911 and um yeah some, yeah and some... dude rescue 911 <laughs> absolutely and uh, what was the back? other show it was a uh, macgyver or something yeah macgyver Mag- you watched macgyver oh no i never got i never watched macgyver that was pretty i love that shit I love rescue, rescue 911 definitely was in was in my worldview but not not macgyver i was i was mcgruber right three three quarters of teens these days own a smartphone and Woo. right now yeah, we're going to get into, let's talk a little bit about what the detrimental or problematic issues are with, with this stuff. And we'll, right. we'll start with sleep and blue light. Because if you're imagining now, right, the consumption is shift to sell, to cell phones, smartphones, tablets. You could take the stuff yeah. into bed and, and watch your Netflix, watch your Hulu, your YouTube, whatever it is, and be on your social media applications till God knows when. Yeah. Late at night, right? I and you just, broke and a personal rule. Did it last night, <laughs> Steven. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Shameless, Steven. shameless, shameful. No, full of shame. <laughs> broke a personal rule. Did it last night. But yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So evening use of light emitting e-readers and other types of devices 
has a negative effect on our sleep, quality of sleep, our circadian rhythm timing, and how we how alert we feel the next day. Sorry, you and broke up a little bit, but say that again. Circadian, what is circadian it? rhythm Listen. timing? The next day alertness, next morning oh. alertness. Using your phone or tablet or light yeah, it device affects, before bed can affect your alertness the next day. It affects the quality of your sleep and all sorts of other things. So a, a recent study, Chang et al. found that 90% of Americans use some electronic device at least one time per week within one hour before going to sleep. Now I think I think that's like that sounds really low. Like actually Dude, that's but. that's super generous. That is super generous. I was gonna I I I'm I see eye to eye with you. That's low. That's but basically low. it means a lot of people use these things yeah, if that's the or they're admitting, line. or they're admitting <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm one. You know, if that's if that's the but when it's one, it's eight, <laughs> or when it's yeah, one, it's that's, twelve, or that is that is the whatever. social equivalent of in college when it's like, or when you go to the doctor as a college student, and they're like, so how often do you smoke? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you know, recreational, like if if I'm drinking, and they're yeah, like, well, okay, how, so how and, often, and do, how often you, do you drink? And how often do you drink? How often do you drink, <laughs> Stephen? And in your head, you're like, um, is it one beer or is it is it, is it um, like just during yeah, the weekends it, when you're having fun just during with the your weekends? Friends? Is it like two on a Friday night or yeah? Or do you have a beer a day? A beer mm-hmm. a day, and I'm just like, one yeah, beer, beer and a couple shots a day. Just Probably one, just a couple shots, just like, two. Yeah, no, yeah, just a couple, just two, just mm-hmm. two per day. So. Per day, but, um, just on the I'm weekend. Not tell you that. Just on yeah, Saturday. On the weekend, yes, just on the weekend days. Yeah, two, two. Oh, and, and that's two just Saturday and drinks. Sunday. And that's, not. Yeah, Saturday, Sunday doesn't count because Sunday is a weeknight. So I don't think of it as like a weekend. You know, it's really just like Friday night and Saturday night. That's like only when I'm drinking and on a mm. very sometimes, very rarely on occasion, I have a single cigarette, like one, one cigarette, mm. and it's not even mine. It's not even mine. I bum it. Like I don't even bring my own. I don't buy my own. Someone else gives me one. Mm. Short wavelength enriched light, i.e. blue light, or these devices that emit this this type of light, it activates our brains. It's it's simulating daylight, essentially. The use of light-emitting electron devices for reading, communication, entertainment has greatly increased recently. We found that the that the use of these devices before bedtime prolongs the time it takes to fall asleep delays the circadian clock, suppresses levels of sleep-promoting hormone melatonin, reduces the amount of delay and the timing of REM sleep, and reduces alertness the following morning. Use of light-emitting devices immediately before bedtime also increases alertness at the time, which may lead users to delay bedtime at home. Overall, we found that the use of portable light-emitting devices immediately before bedtime has biological effects that may perpetuate sleep deficiency and disrupt circadian rhythms, both of which have adverse impacts on performance, health, and safety. Uh, well, <sighs> Stephen and Marley are, are you know, are going to jump back into the Healthy sleep habits. After hearing that, after hearing that <laughs> description, if that's not a, if that's not a call to arms or a slap to the wrist, and be like, "Hey, Steve, remember that thing that you know in the back of your head is healthier than what you're doing every week? You should probably start doing that again." 
So our short-term memory, like if we don't get enough sleep or our sleep isn't good quality, during sleep, it's when we process memories and our brain categorizes those memories and puts those things into long-term memory storage. So it goes through a process of, of trimming, um, trimming off the fat basically of our, our memories and our experiences throughout the day. And um, there's a more technical term of what they call it. It's something like skimming or trimming or something like that. But anyways, it's basically goes through this cycle of parsing out what memories to store into our long-term and what to keep in, in our more short-term access and files out all that stuff away. But if we're not getting good quality sleep, we're actually not, we're, we're, our brain isn't able to go through that full process. So there's a lot of junk. So the recommendations for electronic use and consumption from the American Academy of Pediatrics is for younger, for younger children, uh, 18 months, right? 18 months, to 24 months in age. Um, digital use, uh, they should choose high quality programming and watch their children to understand, to help the children understand how to use it. But they should probably avoid the use of screen or media or other video chatting devices. So if they are using some kind of educational material, because there are programs for really young kids, they should kind of, as you said, with that child that couldn't understand the difference between the book and the computer, like help educate and interact with the child, increase that face-to-face interaction, and help them engage with the technology and understand what it is. Right. I like it can the way help you put, bridge that. Yeah, I like the way you put that. It's not just it's not just high quality content. It's it's high quality content plus showing the child, showing the infant who's just starting to see shapes and understand sounds and everything, how to interact with it as well. It's like, this is a television. It plays a two dimensional thing that you cannot physically grab. Right. Yeah. And so anyone, any child under 18 months, they say shouldn't have any access to any of these screens. Really? It's not good. So that's, Oh. The, the times when they should do this is between 18 and 24 months. They can start this, but it's very careful. And, they, you know, they, they they know that this is happening, but it's uh, not recommended for it to, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you want to be careful about how right. you're going about this, right. mindful of it. Yeah, so children ages two to five years limit screen use to one hour per day of high quality programs. And parents should co-view media with children to help understand what they are seeing and to apply it to the world around them. For children ages six and older, place consistent limits on the time spent using media and the types of media and make sure the, the media does not take the place of adequate sleep, physical activity, and other behaviors essential to health. Got it. Designate media free times together, such as dinner or driving, as well as media free locations in the home, such as bedrooms, where obviously you're going to sleep or something. Have ongoing communication about online citizenship and safety, including treating others with respect online and offline. No cyberbullying, and obviously educating your kids about what they share and how much they share and to whom and on what kinds of sites they use. 
So all those right. kind of things are very important these days. And my final thoughts on this topic and this question, to sum it all up, I don't think we've come to a complete answer of whether ADHD uh, is caused by technology use or it's a correlation or they're, the two are just happen to be going alongside each other and maybe there's there's influences either way. I think that, yeah. that there's this is a, still an open question for a debate. But I think we have come closer to, to recognizing that not everyone who is in our fast-paced, consumer-driven, immediate gratification society that expects to have stimulating screens and images and interactions, that we've come to expect this type of stuff, that not everyone who then becomes distracted or impulsive or restless has ADHD or should right. be diagnosed with ADHD. Right. And right, maybe right. what we've done here today is help people understand some of the nuances and differences, as well as the importance of why ADHD can can lead people to be a higher risk factor, let's say, to engage in this type of technology use to a higher degree than neurotypical folks. So it's extra important for us to be vigilant, aware, and mindful of our usage of these tools and devices in this modern age. So when I was a camp kid, the, between the age of 10 and 12, I used to go to a camp that was six to eight weeks long. So it's the entire summer, essentially. I would be in North Carolina at this camp that's very old. It's been around for decades and decades. And uh, I mentioned earlier that the uh, actor Bill Paxton went there you know, who passed away this year. So it's been around for a while. And from the very beginning of this camp being created, one of the main rules was the boys, it's an all-boys camp, the boys couldn't wear watches. And there are boys there between the ages of like 9 and 17. And this removal or denial of a timepiece had a really significant effect across all age groups of boys at this camp. For us for my generation of 12-year-olds, we thought this was a stupid rule coming into the camp. We're like, okay, take my watch. I don't give a shit because we were playing, you know, we were playing video games already. We were right right on the cusp of cell phones being uh, normal, right, you know, uh, all over. Um, so a watch, getting away a watch didn't really mean much. But what happened every summer, inevitably, was around week two, all of the boys sort of slip into this time sink where our day is governed by the sun whether it's there or not suddenly you wake up when the sun rises you go to breakfast you eat lunch at around noon because the sun's high up in the sky you you know finish out your day when the sun's going to, to bed and you go to bed and i even today 10 years later 10, 15 years later remember the profound pandemic effect, endemic effect of removing our watches and our sense of time, right? Digital time and how it slowed everything down and paced everything out and was incredibly relaxing and enriching. And it wasn't about, 
you know, oh, now the kids are interacting more or like, oh, there's no technology, so we go rock climbing or canoeing more. That was all kind of a control. It was the fact that we weren't so attached to this digital pace versus analog pace. And and that's what I'd like to highlight, this, this notion of digital pace and analog pace. Digital pace, whether it's computer or television screen or iPhone, smartphone, uh, video, a portable game player, they all fall into this digital pace. It's extremely fast. It's supposed to be high octane, and it's supposed to hook you and uh, 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 to hold on to you and be repetitive and quick and just for you know permanent. Uh, it's no shock to me that daylight is like sh- short frequency, right? It's like short waves, and warmer light is like very soft and pleasant. Um, to me. What I hear from, from this discussion is obvious. Just the more, the more technology and the more social media, no matter what condition you have, whether you're neurotypical or not, the more you put this computer in front of my face or a phone or whatnot, I'm constantly staccato, always active, always full of energy, always amped up. And it has nothing to do with the existence of a chemical imbalance in my brain or your brain, Aaron. That's, that's the, it, it doesn't cause a chemical imbalance. It doesn't evolve the human species faster than any other evolution phase that we've had. It just has a really negative effect on, on ADHDers. And so we need to be vigilant and careful because this as advent of, as the advent of technology increases and speeds up we're going to have even more distractions can you imagine like 50 years from now what's going to be the next um man-made distraction uh especially if you look at the last 50 years and the dramatic increase so this episode is way less to me about does technology create adhd because that's ludicrous i think that's an absurd question right but this episode have, is have way- you Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm interrupting you. Sorry. Well, no, no. I'm just saying that I think this episode is at the end of it for me is way less about does technology make ADHD people? Because to me, that's that's actually just na- it's naive. It's ultimately ludicrous. It's absurd. It's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. This episode is more, hey, we need to keep our eyes on the prize and we need to stay focused. And like if there was ever a time in humanity for humanity that a particular subset of people with a mental condition, with a, with a very unique mental condition, needed to like up the ante, needed to up their, their shield and their, their, their support. It's, it's now when there are so many challenges and obstacles and causes for distraction and causes for, for slipping, you know? Like we've, we have more, in 2017, there are more, uh, inputs and more opportunities to get distracted than there ever have been. And that, that does not make children ADHD. That's ludicrous. But it does make ADHDers have a heck of a harder time competing with neurotypical brains. Or maybe it levels the playing field. <laughs> I guess the flip side of that is like all the ADHD kids who would would find any excuse to be distracted now have a like pre-existing extraction distraction that like levels the playing field. Now maybe we're looking at numbers that are more like spread out, and like kids who aren't ADHD 
have like a similar number of, of obstacles to trip over that we do. There's an interesting. <laughs> Take that world. Now Take you, that. You yeah. A, now you get maybe, a little maybe, taste. Now maybe, you get a little taste of what it's yeah, like. Maybe, maybe video a, game to be creators in my head were... for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get step in my shoes, man. All right. You see what I mean? You got to be crazy. Like to be saying, you got to go full tilt, Bozo, because you're only giving a little spark of that. We are attention. If you lose that, you're not attention. Pay attention. Pay attention.